Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. Records officers have been on the front lines of agency efforts to ditch the paper and move to a more digital government. Specialists collaborate and share best practices through a self-organized group called the Federal Records Officers Network, the FRON. For more on the group's work, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday spoke to the Records and Information Program Manager at the Securities and Exchange Commission and FRON co-chairman Ron Swecker. We've been in existence a little over 10 years now. So I was working for the Department of Transportation under the CIO, and I had worked several IT initiatives. Early in 2012, I was eventually assigned to the role as the Departmental Records Officer without really any background in records and information management other than through my various roles, building information systems, which part of the requirements involve managing records. I formally learned my new responsibilities by attending records management certification courses through the National Archives, as well as attending various industry conferences and seminars to be able to learn what my role was supposed to be. During these conferences, I met a number of my counterparts at various departments and agencies, and most of our discussions involved getting advice and lessons learned from their efforts. A lot of us had a background in a lot of the eGov initiatives back in the early 2000s, so collaboration wasn't anything new to us. But we found that there was a void in the record space, so we started looking around for other entities that could fill that. And we found that there really wasn't the capability. So I partnered with one of my counterparts, Wendy Couch, who at the time was the Department of Commerce records officer. She's now retired. And we began efforts to stand up the environment. So this all began in the fall of 2012, where the idea came about. Uh, We had small meetings basically addressing and coordinating some efforts to identify departmental records management training. And we had our first meeting in June of 2013 when we had a face-to-face meeting with our initial 15 members. Over that time, Ron now serves approximately 350 members representing the federal agencies and the military. So we've grown considerably over that time and continue as the word gets out. And, you know, it's obviously been a pretty busy decade for federal records managers. I'm guessing the most important issue for you all is probably digitization and the many different forms that that's taken over the last decade and the different mandates and things that have come out. I'd love to get your thoughts just from, you know, your perspective as chairman of the FRON on how that issue has evolved over the last 10 years. What's We know the mandates, what the mandates are from NARA, but what's the view from the folks who are actually working this at the agencies? Well, certainly we've, uh, federal agencies have been digitizing their, their records for a number of years. Obviously, the guidance uh, coming out of the National Archives and NIST and different sources have evolved over that time. So, Federal agencies have have evolved with it, but it's been a bit of a challenge, especially when in regards to permanent records. There has certainly been recent guidance provided by the National Archives that has firmed up 
those standards. I think federal agencies are moving forward, abiding by those standards. And I think eventually many organizations will either meet their required uh, deadline of June of this year. I think the main challenge as far as managing those digital records, though, is what type of environment those digital records are treated how they're managed, and whether there's any automation associated with it. We need to move on beyond just digitization and provide automation into the processes themselves and in managing those records. I think that's where the convergence of the traditional records and information management discipline kind of comes together with other disciplines like data management. We all have to work collaboratively to be able to automate as much of the processes and managing of records as possible. I think that's going to be the greater challenge, and that's going to certainly take some time, but that's the direction that everyone seems to be moving towards. Yeah, it's interesting. I should mention when I ask about digitization, of course, uh, folks will think about digitizing permanent records that are in analog, you know, paper or whatever else format, but then, of course, there's the challenge of the expanding deluge of native electronic records in different formats and things like that. And you mentioned the merging of kind of the records management and the data fields. And I'm wondering, do you have collaborations with your CDO, chief data officer counterparts? You know, how how are those two sides of the coin talking to each other today? And, you know, does the the Fraun work with that side of the agency that is very much a newer side of the agency, many agencies? Yes, and I think there's a a lot of areas for collaboration. We have had at least two that I can think of meetings with uh, chief data officers from different organizations that are members of the CDO Council. We've also collaborated with members of the federal knowledge management community, the Freedom of Information Act community, or FOIA, various privacy officers, and even specific areas of focus like the Council for Inspector Generals for Integrity and Efficiency, or SIGI. We do have combined meetings to see where there are areas of of common interest and collaboration opportunities. And while I think to get back to your original question about meeting with the chief data officers and working with them, that is still evolving and we still have a lot more work to do. But a lot of the requirements have a considerable amount of overlap. So I think that's an area where we have to continue to move forward and work collaboratively with with that community. You had mentioned that part of the Fraun's initial efforts were around training. And I'd love just to get your thoughts on what folks should know about a career in federal records management and the role that those folks play at federal agencies? I've been very impressed with my colleagues that I've worked with over the years in the more traditional role of records officers and records managers. A lot of those folks have a master's degree in, say, for instance, museum and library sciences. And those programs have evolved and technology has changed. I think they've done a pretty good job of changing their academic background or or academic content uh, based on the changing environment. But I think what's probably even more important is focusing on the teams that manage records. We see 
a shift towards records management offices having a multidisciplined records and information management teams that comprise of the more traditional record specialists as well as IT specialists with that focus on information management. I think that collective efforts is what's necessary to move forward. Ron Swicker, Records and Information Program Manager at the Securities and Exchange Commission and co-chairman of the Federal Records Officers Network. Speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer, at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important, so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Excellent. We're we're going through a a culture project at our work. Oh, great. It's it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking. 
that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, This is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when as a leader that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight... I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people 
have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, Mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how how are things going? Um, Because we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role, And over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in in very new ways. 
This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career, and that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, and I've had a great career in public service. So, I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's... Uh, It's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.